Well, hey, good morning, Grace. Good morning. I, you're probably thinking, uh-oh, yeah, I got a blackboard. So brace yourself, get out your notes. You got a lot to look at today. Um, a number of years ago, I was, uh, I had this, I don't know, epiphany or a vision, whatever it might be. But I envisioned myself, you know, getting to heaven and, you know, in that state of com- completely glorified, all better, you know, completely fixed the way I was meant to be. And while that was great, that, that part was, was wonderful. The part that na- had nagged me then and, and has for years now is I, when, I, when I arrived, I, I seriously wondered <clears throat> if anyone would recognize me. And I mean, I get a glorified body and I get all that, but I was thinking more of soul and spirit mostly, but it's like, it had to do with like the, the transition between like where I am now and where I'll be then. Was that so drastic that friends and family would, would walk up to me and introduce themselves like we'd never met? You know, in other words, um, that, that, that sin has so saturated my personality it is so it's such a, a major ingredient of contamination in who I am that if all of that were to be taken away, would there be, <laughs> would there be enough of Matt left, right? And so that, that, that idea that I could, I could make that final transition and be unrecognizable, it, fr- it frightened me. I mean, and like shamed me. I was like, I, then I thought, you know, I have a new ambition. And my new ambition is to have just a, a mild, you just subtle, tr- you know, movement from this life to the next, trying to become like Christ. And it's like, well, that's what the Bible says. It's always said that, that we glorify God by becoming like Christ in all of life. And the closer we become like Christ in all of life, we are meant to be, the easier that transition is. But my epiphany, my vision, whatever it is, whatever I had was like, it made it super concrete for me. And I've been on that trail ever since. So in, in some respects, that's how we end up at Reboot. Here's our series called Reboot. And the reason we're doing this is because people want to change their lives. They like, this is, we want to live. The theme of Reboot is to live, to think biblically, live biblically, right? In the culture, we're not going to isolate from the culture, but we're doing that courageously together. And in our series together, the Reboot, as we've worked our way through, it was, you know, we started very general uh, and then it's getting more specific. It's getting not even just more specific, but it's becoming more practical. And today, super like, right, feet on the ground, very practical. As a matter of fact, today's sermon could be how to change your life. It could be used for parenting. It could be used for work or athletics or whatever it might be. Even in the context of the Bible here, boom, how do you change your life? How, does, how is God involved in life change? That's our theme today. And I'm so committed to this having like a goal and a value that I want you to right now take out your notebooks or those fancy phones and I want you to make goals, goals for 2022. I want you to think about a goal that's body oriented, soul, and then spirit. Body being, I don't know, just thinking out loud, but lose some of that COVID weight (laughs) for a friend anyway, uh, or or like run a half marathon. We're going to do body, soul, spirit, because it's going to make sense in a minute, I'll tell you. But in the context of soul change, that would be become a more generous person, for example, or to maybe overcome some old memory or programming. And you're, that's in your past. And, you know, I got to change that in a soulish way. 
Another layer, deeper still, is spirit. I want to be sacrificial in my life. I want to, I'm going to give my life away like Christ did. I want to, I, one of my spirit goals would be, I want to hear the voice of God. I want to know that voice and I want to respond to it. I can hear it, but not respond. I want to hear the voice of God. I want to hear that whisper from the spirit and I want to be able to respond to that. Now, <clears throat> we're going to look at it in a way uh, that is very body, soul-ish so that we can understand spirit because I think what happens I think people don't change in their soul and spirit because they've mystified that type of change. And what's interesting is in the Bible and what we're going to look at today is, no, the way the body changes is the way your soul and spirit can change. Don't make it too complicated. Just understand how it's done. When you look at life change, you're going to go to Romans chapters, chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, because in these two sentences that we've been looking at for weeks now, you can, you can see it's all about how to change, how God changes us. And it, it talks about you, know, you have to behave differently and you have to think differently. And those are the major ingredients for life change. Look what it says in chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, I urge you, my brothers and sisters, by the very mercies of God, there's behave right, present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Think right. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Now, what I want you to see, I'm going to start writing now, but I want you to see is there's like three layers of, of life change. And the outside layer, excuse me, the outside layer is, uh, I, they, you can call these goals. It's, it's kind of what you get. It's, it's setting some kind of goal in making that happen. And that's a, one way to change in some respects. And an, another one, getting closer inside, would be uh, what's sometimes called systems or discipline, sometimes routines. But what we're going to talk about today as we get close, like inside, we're going to look at real change happens here on this inside level, and it's based on identity. Identity. And you can see that goal setting is not bad, but it doesn't cause life change. If you wanna, I don't know, uh, lift 100 pounds and you keep working towards lifting 100 pounds, and when you hit 100 pounds, then you, you're done. That's not real life change, that was just a goal that was achieved. Sometimes when you commit to the system itself, that's fine, but then when your goal's met, you're done. Identity is about who you are or who you ascribe to be. And you're working from there outwards. I'll explain this as I go, but this model of starting with identity, that's the biblical model. That's how, that's how God works. He's gonna, he's gonna define who you are. And then the, this is like the nature of Bible change. God declares who we are. And then we spend the rest of our lives convincing ourselves that God is truthful in what he's declared. This is the way God has planned for us to change, is starting at the beginning and working its way out, our identity. So let's just start there. In, when, in the context of identity, uh, in, in the passage themselves, Romans 12, 1 and 2, it says, how does it start? It says, therefore, by the mercies of God, my brothers and sisters. And the whole point of the therefore means everything that preceded it, I would say particularly what's found in Romans 3 through 8. 
In, in Romans chapters three through eight, you could go through those and find several passages that are absolutely positively declaring who you are according to God's point of view. Doesn't matter what you believe, doesn't matter what other people believe, here's what God has said to be true. He said this to be true. Uh, Romans uh, five verse one, therefore since you have now been justified by faith, you are at peace with God through Christ Jesus our Lord. I'm at peace with God. Uh, Romans 8, 1 says, therefore there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's me. I'm, I'm, I'm at peace and there's no condemnation towards me. That's my identity here, right? And then uh, Romans 8, a little bit further along, he said, uh, God did not give you uh, a, a spirit, what does he say? It's a spirit of slavery that brings you to fear. No, 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 he gave you a spirit of adoption that has sons and daughters cry out to God, Abba, Daddy. The most intimate word to describe the creator of the universe is found in Romans 18, I think it's verse 15. Yeah, we're, we're adopted and our spirit cries out to call him Daddy, Daddy. That's true, that's the way it is. That's what God says, boom. Now, convince yourself of that. How do you do that? Well, you start here, thinking. You gotta think right. As a matter of fact, what does it say in 12.2? Do not be conformed to this world. Don't think wrong, think right, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. He's trying to get us to renew our mind based on our identity. And so the idea here is, is that these, this is supposed to validate and reinforce what's already true. We're supposed to be thinking like we're already being declared to be, we are. So like here's a, here's a passage that's perfect for this. Second Corinthians chapter 10, verse five. Listen to how it's thinking oriented. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. We're taking thoughts and making them obedient to what we already know. We're taking thoughts captive. We're sitting these values down, these recordings in our head and these sorts of things. And we're saying, look, you've been nagging me for 27 years. I'm living my life around something that's not true here. And I'm sick of it. And I'm taking that captive in. And we're like, what was the other word? We're demolishing arguments that are contrary to what the word of God says. There's another great passage in Ephesians 4. Here's, here's one, listen to the thinking. We're no longer infants, right? We're not kids anymore, getting tossed around by, by, by the waves or, or blown here and there by the winds of teaching, of cunning and crafty men deceitfully scheming. No, 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 instead, we speak truth and love and, and, and are now in all things we grow up in him who is the head, which is Christ. We're, gonna, we're just gonna keep growing up in the way we think about the Christ who's the head of us that's made us this way, that has declared us this way. First bit of application, I'm sorry, I meant homework. In first bit of application or homework, I want you to read through Romans chapters eight through three, and uh, three through eight, uh, there's a dyslexia. Uh, and, and write down words that are declarative in who you are in Christ. And what I'd like to, for you to seriously consider doing, it's a great habit, uh, and, and that is like inject your name. 
You know, it, doesn't, it says, yeah, therefore you're justified. Now that we're justified with Christ Jesus, we're at peace with God. It's like Matt is now justified through Christ in faith. And, there's, and now Matt has peace with God. There's something about personalizing that. Go through three through eight, find five of those sentences that absolutely tell you who you are that's true in your identity. Write your name into those and memorize and meditate on them. Put them on the back of some old business card and just carry them around with you everywhere you go. And you're going, to medit- you're, going to th- you're going to learn how to think what's true about your identity. You're supposed to like marinate, 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 marinate that, those words into your brain. That's thinking right. Then what, is, what else does the passage say? Romans 12, verse 1, it says behave right. Behave right. It says... What does it say? Yeah, therefore, yeah, I urge you, my brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living and holy sacrifices, acceptable and pleasing to him. So, and what we learned about, what does it mean to be a living sacrifice? A few weeks ago, we're turning up that Bible, we were finding that a living sacrifice means lordship. Simple word, it means you do whatever the Bible says. Whether you like it or not, whether it's comfortable or not, you follow what it says because it's authoritative in your life. But, but watch, look what it says. Um, let your bodies be a living and holy sacrifice. So the point is that God's, God's saying in that passage, he's saying your bodies are part of this process. What you do with your body, your, what, how you behave is supposed to be reinforcing right here what is true in your identity. And when we start behaving like who we are, we start, we start like practicing that in our regular, our regular lives. This, this model of, of thinking right in, in our identity and behaving right in our identities is classic to almost all of the epistles. So most of the epistles have some kind of outline that goes, generally speaking, the first, at the beginning, it's truths about the nature of God, and then some kind of truths about our identity in Christ and how he, God relates to us. And then there's a list of a bunch of to do's and don'ts. Now, what I find interesting is so many Christians run to the list of do's and don'ts. They'll go over here to the goals, right? And they set the goals based on do's and don'ts, but it's not based. And this is no way for life change. It doesn't, it doesn't work. It gets you a few successes in a row. Look at you checking your boxes, but it's not, trans, it's not, it's not changing an identity. It's not based on something that's intrinsic working its way outside. And this is how God changes us. He, he does it through both. So, uh, you know, a great figure of speech that, that grasps this I- identity and behavior and how they're supposed to sync is one that's pretty common to all of us. It's, listen, ready? What's a nice girl like you doing in a place like this? Right? What's a nice girl like you? I know you. In this place, you're not supposed to be here. Your identity and who you are, uh-uh. What's a nice, what's a prince or a princess behaving like that. That's, that's, what that, that's how it works its, its way out. So here's next little homework assignment. Here's what I want you to do. Look at some it's, it's a body. Let's look at soul. Make a, whatever uh, a goal for your soul is. <clears throat> Excuse me. I mentioned uh, generosity. I think some of that has to do with, I just saw a TED talk and it was like as secular as the day is long, but it was just this, this lecturer was just saying, generosity is one of the single greatest attributes to display a healthy soul. 
find givers and takers and how givers are healthier and happier. So, so, so you say, I'm going to be a generous person. This is soulish. I'm going to be a generous person. And so I'm going to set a behavior that means you have to do something and do something. The, the disciplines of doing something would be getting out of budget, <laughs> you know, learning how to spend less and give more. And I would say a goal, you want these achievable, easy wins, give 1% more than you, when you're normally giving. Give 1% more over the next, whatever, six months, something like that. And here's why, here's why you don't want to start here with like set a goal of giving 1% because once you do, you're done. A generous person hits 1% and says, well, wait a minute, I'm a generous person. Now I'm going to give 1% more on top of that. I mean, a generous person just keeps, keeps on giving. You're trying negotiating, not how much they get to give. It's like how little they get to keep. That's what a generous. So if it goal centered gets you in and out, but it doesn't change your life, believing that you're a generous person and behaving like you're a generous person, you start becoming and thinking like a generous person. That's how that works. It's, it's, it's beautiful. It's a genius. So let me just review the way you have real life change is starting with identity who you are or who you want to be, and then thinking that way and behaving that way. Take a little step back and look. Anybody, anybody with some counseling background? Does anybody just look familiar? Because this model right here is one of the most popular models in psychology today because it's so effective. It's called the cognitive behavioral therapy. Cognitive behavioral therapy, I'm thinking right, cognitive behavior. I'm doing right, and it's based on an identity. Cognitive behavioral therapy, it's been around 75 years. I'm not promoting that. What I am promoting is a 2,000-year-old life change model that looks like cognitive behavioral therapy. Just took them a long time to figure it out. Cognitive behavioral therapy literally has shown brain change when it's applied in, in a study that was very recent, I think last October, on social anxiety. And they did what's called active MRIs and they're showing what's happening in the brain. And after some sessions in cognitive behavioral therapy based on identity, thinking right and behaving right. And their, their body chemistry changed. You started seeing you know, uh, protein differences and electric differences going on inside the brain, oxygen levels changing throughout the brain. And they are physiologically changing because of this. So and let me just show you how this works again. And just using something very simple that we all understand in some respects is an athlete. Okay, a, a person who says, I am an athlete or I'm aspiring to be an athlete. Okay, wish I was, I'm an athlete, that's my identity. The way an athlete thinks is uh, pain is part of the process. <laughs> so like a, an athlete doesn't complain about pain. He doesn't, he's not surprised by pain. He just like does the pain thing and you just plow through the pain. Uh, an athlete is, gets used to losing because losing is part of learning how to win. And so they're not moping around all the time and being discouraged by, they have a, what's called a short memory. They just, it, being an athlete is learning how to get back up. That's there's some attributes of how to think like an athlete. You know how athletes behave? They like, are they gonna work out tomorrow? And they're thinking about it. No, they're not thinking about it. They, they're athletes. They do it. They made decisions ahead of time and then they took their own freedom away. So they don't wake up in the morning and wonder if they're gonna work out. I'm an athlete, I'm working out tomorrow because that's what I do. An athlete goes to the grocery store and you know all those middle aisles? Those are for non-athletes. 
okay? That's where non-athletes go. Athletes just stay on the outside, fresh stuff, you know? They look down those aisles and go, hmm, yeah, non-athletes. They, they find themselves in one of those middle aisles staring at a box of Oreos and they're going, what's an athlete like you doing on this aisle? Come on, man. It's, it's diet and exercise, come on. Now, so I just, I would just want you to see how that works in physical. I, I'm an athlete, so I'm gonna think like it and behave like it. So it is true for your soul, your personality and those sorts of things and your spirit. This is how they change and they grow too. Watch the magic here though. I want you to see something. This has a compounding effect. If you think right based on your identity, it's gonna help you behave right. And you, if you behave right, it will reinforce the way you're thinking. So I don't think I want to work out tomorrow, so I'm just going to pretend and behave. I'm going to fake it till I make it. And halfway through that workout, I'm starting to think it was a good idea that I'm working out because that's what athletes do. Sometimes I think I'm an athlete and I just got to like, I'm going to think this. And so I'm going to, this is, I'm going to think my way into behaving. And it just keeps getting better and better. See how it's like, it compounds. That's why only a 1% change can make a lifetime of difference. 1%, that's why I'm saying it's achievable goals, simple wins. Here's the problem. See it, how it works? See the power of the synergy? It cuts both ways. It can also go this way. You start thinking bad, you'll start acting bad. You start acting bad enough, you'll start thinking better. You get, you get two or three of these, like I'm not gonna behave like an athlete, I'm gonna eat all I want, I'm gonna not work out, I'm gonna think differently about life, it's supposed to be pleasurable, not painful, all this. And next thing you know, you'll start thinking of yourself as kind of a loser, Some, a slug. I'm just gonna like ride it out, don't care anymore. And it just feeds both ways. And so, again, people will tell you, like, you do this a couple times in the wrong direction, 1% difference makes all the difference in the world for a lifetime for good and for bad. So be very careful about habits that you form because they, they reinforce your thinking and they can reinforce your belief on identity. So where do you, in the, in the context of application and our homework, where do you, where do you start? Where do you get on board? It's two ways of looking at it. One, where do you need to get on board the most? Some of you don't know who you are in Christ. I'd start right there. Get that written down on all kinds of cards and, and, visit, and get it everywhere that you can see. Some, you know, sometimes the thinking is the part that you need the most work in based on maybe your background or maybe you're an emotional thinker instead of an intellectual thinker. Some of you just like need to get on board with the behavior. So it's, it might be whatever you need the most. Here's another way of looking at it. This is like a merry-go-round and you get on wherever it's easiest to get on. <laughs> so sometimes when I don't, I'm gonna use again, uh, physical metaphors are easy. You know, I don't, I don't think, I, I'm not thinking right about my diet and exercise. I'm just gonna do it anyway. So I'm getting on here. And if I do this, and if I behave long enough, I'm gonna start thinking, yeah, you know what? Turns out eating the right foods and exercising is a good way to do. Sometimes I have to start with thinking to convince my behavior to catch up. What I like about it is wherever, where, wherever it fits in. If you're a junior high football coach, you don't want, you're not gonna, 
these kids aren't going to think. They're in junior high. They're, uh, anyway, so you just yell at them and make them behave, right? And then after a while, by the time they get to high school, they're starting to think like athletes. And then they're going to start behaving. By the time they're in college, this is a done deal. A college athlete gets this. But if a college athlete, by the way, is just goal-oriented or system discipline-oriented, this is the college athlete that once he graduates from college, he's no longer an athlete. And so he just like lets his body go to ruin. If he was basing his college experience on saying, look, I'm a person that's committed to like being in shape, it's good for you. Then he's going to continue throughout. So point is, thinking leads to behavior, behavior leads to thinking, all complementing the identity, working its way out from identity. It works both ways is the threat. So where are you going to start? Here's what I'd recommend. A super easy win. Pick a way to get, like, do something soul and spirit, body, soul, and spirit, super easy win. 1% change can change your entire life because of the compounding power of consistency of this model. It starts from the inside out. Let me show you one more time, okay, in the Bible how Paul uses this model. And it's one of the reasons I keep referencing physical fitness is because Paul does. And why does Paul use physical fitness to help us understand spiritual fitness? Because he wants to demystify how a person's soul and spirit are altered. We know how athletes work. We know how our bodies work. There's cause effect to that. And Paul says, right, just take that and move it over to the metaphysical parts of your life. It, it works there too. So watch how in 1 Timothy 4, Peter's going to say, or I'm sorry, <clears throat> Paul is going to coach Timothy in how it ought to be, how to think right. Here's what he says about thinking right. But put on these instructions before the brothers and sisters, and you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus. I want you to nourish, be nourished on the word of faith and the sound teachings that you have followed. That's thinking right. I want you to be nourished by these things. It's that, that marinating on what? Instructions, words of faith, sound teaching. Right. But he doesn't leave it there. He brings it to behavior. I want you to behave like who you are. And so he goes on and says, train yourselves in godliness for while physical training. So he's saying like, this is simple. You know this. You know, while physical training has some value, but godliness is valuable for in every way, holding promises both in this present age and the age to come. Spiritual disciplines make it all the way to heaven. <clears throat> it is for this end that we toil and we struggle because we have our hope set on the living God who is our savior to all people, especially those who believe. So listen to the vocabulary words Paul's using as a reference to the physical as applied to the metaphysical, our souls and spirit. He uses words like train. That's where we, gymnasio. Guess where we get the word gymnasium. The, the training, the, part, the physical training, that word is where we get the word gymnastics. It's almost the exact word gymnastics. And don't think of the individual sport gymnastics. It's more of the highly disciplined, repetitious learning in, in a sporting event that we would today call, make it muscle memory. Be so repetitious in the way you behave, you can't even think about doing it. It never gets to your brain. It's just straight to the spinal cord and back. And then he goes on and uses words like toil and labor. Don't, you do this until you grow weary. Uh, if you've been involved in weightlifting, it would be, it would be lift until failure. The idea of a lot, you just keep doing this behavior, it's going to be painful. And then the last word he uses is struggle. Let me see, what's the Greek word for struggle? 
agonizo. Uh, anyone? <laughs> yeah, agony, right? So the, Paul's point is like, you got to be thinking like an athlete. You got to behave like an athlete. Of course, yeah, because they're athletes. Do that in your spiritual life, he says. You got to be meditating on these things, right? Nourish your souls on these things and then behave like it. Behave like it, it's going to be painful, agonizing. It's, you need to do it till, you, till it's muscle memory. That's how a life is changed. It's based on who you are in Christ and reinforcing that who you are in your thinking and your behaving. That's how you become like Christ in all of life. That's, that's a good lesson. But wait, there's more. Because God doesn't just leave us with behavioral, you know, I mean, cognitive behavioral therapy, right? Watch this. He's going to add something to spin this thing in a powerful, miraculous, unending way. And that is the power of the Holy Spirit. Remember last week I said, you know, uh, the way you become God, the part of God's child is the same way you become God's perfect child. The way you become God's child is the way you become God's perfect child. It is by grace through faith alone. Look what it says in Galatians chapter 3, verse 1. He says, you foolish Galatians who have bewitched you, before very, your very eyes you saw Christ Jesus was clearly portrayed as crucified. But I'd like to know just this one thing. Did you, uh, did you learn this one thing from you? Did you receive the spirit of God by observing the law or believing and, and then you, what you heard? Are you so foolish? After beginning with the spirit, are you now perfecting? Or are you trying to obtain your goal by human effort? These passage, this passage, one of my mentors, a gentleman, Dr. Haddon Robinson, said the most neglected passage in the New Testament by the American church. Because the American church says, be saved by grace through faith, now get busy. And you see this in church after church. They, they don't believe that you are transformed by God's grace, and then you continue to be transformed by God's grace. It is by God's grace that we change. And what's difficult sometimes is people don't understand that it's the power of the Holy Spirit, but what's the, how do you know you're not like involving yourself in legalism while you're doing all this behaving, behaving to the point of pain, agonizo, right? Well, it has to do with where you're putting your faith or your hope. And if you look at the passage, it says, I just want to know this. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by practicing the law or, or believing in what was heard? Paul is not saying stop practicing the law. Most of the law is really great, you know, you know the non-Jewish ones. Go ahead, practice the moral law. Don't hope in it. See, it's all about hope or trust. I'm going to trust that the law can make me better. I'm going to hope that the law can change a heart and soul. Again, this is, shows up a lot in parenting, right? Because I'm going to use a model that's, that's behavioristic and control-oriented instead of, don't you know, it's the power of the Holy Spirit that does this. And so, so it's, it's very subtle. It might even look the same on the outside looking in, but the, in, the person, they're going to know where their hope is. Let me give you two examples of how to live by the power of the Holy Spirit in this and not be legalistic. Um, when I was in my 30s, not doing a great job pretty much anywhere, 
uh, and especially at home. So I wasn't much of a husband and I wasn't much of a father. So I'm in my 30s and I'm young and strong. And so I did what I do. I made a list. <laughs> I made a list of things that I needed to do daily to be a better husband and a better father. Had 14 little to-dos, put on the front of my notebook, my daily planner. I'd look at it every day and man, I went after it. And after two weeks, you know, I was miserable. I couldn't get to those 14, wasn't getting much payoff, frankly. By week three, everyone was miserable. I mean, no, like, yeah, no one wanted, could you please stop this? Like, it's not working for anyone. And it's the, it's the nature of a to-do list. It's the nature of the law. It's not made to tell you what you're doing right. It's, it's made to tell you all the ways you're failing. <laughs> and so, you know, after week three, I'm just, I'm crushed. And I just like, I said this prayer, listen to the prayer. It's going to sound exactly like a salvation prayer because that's the way you become a child of God is the way you become a perfect child of God. And so I just, I, I went to bed and said, you know what? I'm done. I quit. God, look, I like, I, I've done everything I can do. I, I can't, it's not working. Uh, I, I give up and I quit. And she said, like, you know, Lord, if you want me to be a better husband and even a mildly average father at this point, I would love just to be average. You're going to have to change me. You're going to have to change my heart. I'm done. I mean, I don't even know how to be completely selfless. I don't even want to be completely selfless. Woke up the next day or soon after that. I know it's as predictable as a Hallmark movie, right? It's like, next thing you know, I'm doing the 14 things and liking it. I know, like, I know people love big miracle stories about they're usually, you know, somebody's, somebody got healed. That's a miracle. <laughs> I mean, ask around in my life. He changed my soul because I, I gave up on practice. I'm trying to perfect my being a husband or a father. I gave up trying to perfect that by the flesh. I was a foolish Galatian. And I said, I was trying to like, now I said a salvation prayer about my sanctification. And I started getting in on the loop in a way that magnified my identity and I was thinking right. And then I started behaving right. That's one way of doing it. Try as hard as you can run head on into the wall. Actually, sometimes when I counsel people in their thirties, especially their late thirties, I just go, you should try harder. You know, I don't think you're trying hard enough because you still don't get it. And it's like, what? Yeah, just, just keep trying harder. I can tell you're still a foolish Galatian. So I'm just trying to make this thing go faster. And that's why I don't do a lot of counseling. Um, anyway, so I'm a little distracted here. So um, there's another way to do this besides failing. And that is to just get carried along in the spirit. It's to understand what's happening here and how it happens. And that your hope is in the power of the Holy Spirit. And you can't wait to brag about God's miraculous intervention in your life, in your body, in your soul, and in your spirit. And so you just have this genuine humility that's floating through you. And there's this constant sense of tranquility because you're at peace. You know who you are. It's think, you're doing what you can to think right and behave right. But your hope is in the power of God's Holy Spirit working in your life. I mean, you're just constantly being reminded that you're so sinful. Like I'm so sinful that I, God, Jesus Christ had to die for me. And I'm so loved that he would be willing to do that. He would be glad to die for me. 
that is a form of worship that gets this spinning in the right direction and the glory goes to God. How do you know if you're being legalistic or actually being part of God's plan in all of this? Here's a couple ways, winning and losing. Let's say you're a highly disciplined person, you know, good for you. I've heard those things are true. And a highly, you know, and you're doing it. You're getting all your 14 done. And when you're doing it in a legalistic way, you're usually pretty self-righteous about it. Generally judgmental towards other people that can't do the 14. It's just like you, you've just like, you're in charge. You're doing it. And generally you focused on two or three areas that you're going to never mind your pride, but it's this one place. And so self-righteousness is a consequence of legalism. Another one is when you're not so good and you're failing a lot, your attitude, you're changing, you're spinning this thing the wrong way and you start thinking you're a failure. You bring shame into your relationship with God and, and a, a sense of, of sorrow and grief because you're not getting it done and you're not thinking right and you're not, certainly not behaving. And so you can't believe that what's true about what God's saying about you. Either way, legalism doesn't work if you win and it doesn't work if you lose. Do you know why? Because it doesn't work. <laughs> it was never meant to work. It was always meant to be an identity change based upon the grace of God intervening to make us well. Not just saved, but not just a child, but a perfect child. All right, we're done. Here it is. Here's your homework. Body, soul, spirit. Easy wins. Easy wins. 2022, body, soul, spirit. Write something down. Let the body part be uh, an instructor to how soul and spirit things work. And, and see if, like where you get involved with the identity, how you think, how you behave, or how you behave and how you think, always waiting for the Spirit of God to give you that power. Let me give you, uh, in closing, a, a final really great uh, story. It, it's just a week old. I'm so proud of Melinda because this is, this is like, she's like she's taking every thought captive. And so what's, what's happened, what was happening in her life over, re, very recently was she just felt like she wasn't at keeping up. She wasn't measuring up to who she ought to be and what she ought to be doing. You know, her identity was like, I'm not doing enough. And therefore maybe the performance thing, or I'm not maybe liked by God or whatever it might be. And, and it was kind of weighing heavy on, on her soul. And so, right, here's the take every thought captive. Was it nurture or nature? Where is she getting that? And it wasn't, it wasn't true. Her behavior was not reflecting that. Where'd she get that? So you go to nurture nature, right? So was she nurtured in that way where no matter what she did, her parents were saying, why didn't you do more? You know, shame on you for that 99, that sort of thing. That's not her background. Her parents were lovely. The whole environment in her house was not, it was mostly encouraging all the time, right? So then she goes to nature. Well, <laughs> there's, two, there's two natures involved here. The nature of man is to go to religion. I mean, you see throughout the Old Testament, even in the, inter, the 400 silent years, good heavens. That's when all the rules are written that are insane where Jesus has to come in and said, that is not what I meant because we just add rules, whatever we can. We go to performance because it inflates our ego or destroys us either way. And so there's some of it that in that nature of who she is. And then, and then this in Satan friends, he's the accuser. You think he's showing up to say, Hey, good job. You know, you're doing a great job following God. No, no. He's going to find those two things that you didn't do and never let you up. What I found to be particularly grateful when watching Melinda negotiate this is she understood the power of reading. We'll talk about this next week, but 
like what you read is often what you think. And she went through her, she reads multiple devotionals in the morning in addition to her reading the Bible. And she looked at a couple of those authors and said, you know what? This, this is the harsh parent that I'm listening to. Sometimes it has to do with what era they were writing, you know, and it's just like, it was all about the majesty of God and the transcendent of God, all in favor of that, but never balancing that with the eminence of God and the love of God. So every day she's reading this devotion that says, still not enough, you could have done better. Do you have any idea how holy God is? And then there's you. And she said, I'm not reading this anymore. I'm gonna exchange that source of thinking to a different source of thinking that reflects the identity that's true. And now she's off understanding who she is in Christ because she had to get somebody else out of her head so that she, it would be more consistent with what is true. It's powerful. We're gonna do this together. We're gonna learn who our identity is and we're gonna behave like that and think like that, and that's gonna keep spinning. If we become a church like that, we'll be a church that changes people's lives because we've gotten on board with the model, the model that God has. There's one other thing I wanna show you. See a superpower over here? There's another one going this way. It's spinning it in the right direction this way. And that is for next week. All out of time. Cliffhanger. Don't miss. Let me pray. We commit to this. Lord Jesus, we lift up this moment to you that we would become a church, that I would be a person of radical change because of who you say that I am. Declare that to be true. I attach those Bible verses to my name. That's my identity. And Lord, I'd ask that you would help us all understand what that means and we would reflect on that as it changes the way we think. Maybe that needs to change. Change the way we behave. Maybe that needs to change. But Lord, let's be a, help us become a community of people that don't stagnate. They don't brag about how bold they were as a Christian when they were in college. They talk about miracles that take place in their life last month because they hit some wall and they were foolish Galatians and they brag about being a foolish Galatian and then they brag about the spirit changing who they are and what motivates them. Lord, make us a church like that. There's the light on the hill. That's what people are looking for. And so God, would your spirit overwhelm this church so we would be that? If no one watches, no one hears, it still glorifies you. And we do this. We become like Christ in all of life for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.